0: Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power. Siguli Swagwak, Daisy Yats. Hello, everyone. This is Daisy Frankor with Cultural Survival. And I'm here today to speak with Dr. Yungunsi Rosa King, who is an indigenous language activist, scholar, and lead instructor for the Dehariwanakwa Language Nest Immersion Program in Oneida, Wisconsin. And today we're gonna speak with Dr. King about their work in indigenous language revitalization and how language immersion has helped the United Nation of Wisconsin to reclaim their language and build new speakers. Dr. King, can you please introduce yourself?
1: So gully, ye gon see ya ni e wageniata ni wagita lod, oneata agani wagado hunjood, keli hunya nihe um aga jokwa, ne ladik sasuha, ne ganjo kwago, ne dehaduwanak, ne ne uhneha ni gajinak boda ne uh dehaduanak. Um hello everyone, my name is Ye Si or Rosa King. I am Turtle Clan, I'm from the United Nation of Wisconsin. And I am a teacher in the Dehariwanakwa Language
0: Nest. Yawam you can see, can you please share with us a bit about the Dehariwanakwa Language Nest and what a language nest is, what um, Indigenous language immersion education is, why it's important, and some of the things that you do as an educator in your day to day work?
1: A language nest is an immersion educational program generally geared towards children zero to eight. Um, However, language nests vary within um, different tribal communities. In our tribal community, we serve students um, in preschool and in a K-1, kindergarten grade one, combined classroom at the moment. Um, So we serve students who are younger in age, we start serving students at age three, um, zero to four, um, or birth to three. Around that age is a prime age for um, influencing a student's not not only their child development or their physical development, but um, their social, emotional, mental, um, and spiritual development, and so it is really easy to teach within a language and only a specific language to a child and have them pick that up. Um, They're like sponges at that age. And so what we do in our language nest is we serve students who are in, who are within a prime age of language acquisition. Um, And so basically kind of getting back to my main point, what a language nest is, it is Um, an immersion educational program that uses only the target language as the sole medium of instruction. So that means that everything is taught to children in that educational setting through the target language. So for us, that is the Oneida language. We teach everything to students, um, whether that be social skills, whether that be things that are more content-based like Um, emerging literacy skills, letters and numbers and colors, specifically in my classroom because we're a preschool classroom, um, teaching them how to take care of themselves, getting their coats on, um, play skills, play time, everything is done within the language. So that's basically what a language nest is. For our program um, here in Oneida, Wisconsin, the Dehariwanaku Language Nest, our our main goal is to create speakers. Our main goal is to boost the speakership of the Oneida language um, and the proficiency of the Oneida language among our students. Um, And so because they're in a prime age of language acquisition, we can create speakers out of those children. And our language is currently in a state of emergency, so we do not have many speakers. We literally have two um, of around 19,000 people in our community, so that number is really, really low. Um, Our language is classified as being in a state of emergency, so we have to... Um, work towards revitalizing our language and one real successful way at revitalizing an indigenous language is through immersion. Um, the Maoris of New Zealand, um, the Hawaiians um, in Hawaii, um, the Mohawks um, along the East Coast have all been very successful at utilizing immersion educational programming to successfully revitalize their languages and to create new speakers among new generations of people in their communities. So that's what we're trying to do here as well. That's the main goal and objective of our program is to revitalize our language, create speakers, and do that through a holistic um, and cultural ceremonial-based approach and curriculum um within our uh educational programming so um how long our program has been around it's been around this is our fourth school year so we started in 2018 Um, this is our fourth school year thus far so in essence we are still a fairly new program immersion programs take many many years to build um, we are still learning a lot. We are slowly expanding our program as our students get older. Um, our oldest group of students who are in a kindergarten one combined classroom will, uh, once they get to grades two and three, we will add a, another classroom to um, serve them at that age once they're in grades two and three and to continue advancing not only their language and proficiency skills, but just their learning in general um, through culturally, uh, culturally and ceremonial-based content. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned that the age group of our students are, they range from three years old to seven. Um, my classroom, I am a lead instructor in um, our younger classroom, we call it the seed classroom or the it's the seed group. Um, And so the seeds, they're little, little ones. They're brand new. They're fresh. They're three and four years old. We also have an Ohunte niganjokoda classroom. Ohunte is like a sprout. The Ohunte niganjokoda means the sprout group. And they're a little older. That's the kindergarten grade one combined classroom. So those students are about um, five, six, and seven years old. And so that is the age group of students that we serve. We have two classrooms. We have two teachers in each classroom. We have one lead instructor, we have one co-lead instructor. The lead instructor generally has a higher proficiency, but they're paired with a co-lead to help boost their proficiency, to serve kind of as a uh, communication um, example for students to learn from, um, but also to work together to help serve our students. Team teaching is very beneficial to students, it's beneficial to the group of teachers, and it helps alleviate kind of a lot more of the um, the busyness of uh, running a classroom or being a teacher in a classroom. So that's those are some of the reasons why we have uh, team t- a team teaching approach in our in our program. Um, I am a lead instructor in um, the three and four year old classroom. I'm also actually a head instructor of the entire program. I train all the teaching staff, new teaching staff, trainee staff, um in teaching pedagogy, immersion, uh, instructional skills, as well as um, Oneida language proficiency and comprehension um, so that they're fully prepared to be implemented into a class within one to two years time to take on the roles of a lead and a co-lead instructor in each each new classroom that we add. Um, What students learn throughout the day generally day to day in our classrooms. Um, they learn a variety of um, cultural and holistic mathematical and science um, content. So right now we're in the planting season so students it, basically what we do it's kind of I guess mainstream education might call it project-based learning. Um, <coughs> ours is also very hands-on um, outdoor education as well. And so we take a little bit more of a theme approach. So right now it's planting season, that's the main thing. That's the main um, theme or lesson, running lesson that we have going on this month. Students are learning all about um, the planting cycle, what is needed to grow a plant, um, the parts of a plant, um, our traditional agricultural um, planting methods. So for us as Oneida people, we um, there's three major uh, uh, foods or medicines, I guess you could say, that we plant that—that that is corn, beans, and squash. We, we call them the three sisters. And so we actually have a method as to the way that we plant them that um, helps the plants to grow the best. And that's through this mound system. So our traditional um, agricultural method in planting a three sisters garden is using mounds and so students are learning all about that they're learning how to plan and organize a garden how many mounds are we going to need for a certain amount of space Um, so there's a lot of what i had mentioned math and scientific approaches or um, aspects to the lesson so our lesson right now is planting that's all the math and science emerging literacy skills everything is woven within to that lesson So it's kind of like a project or a a theme-based approach to their learning. Um, The students learn how to organize the garden, so that means, like, if we have a certain size plot, then we're going to need to make how many mounds and how many rows of those mounds and... um, how many uh how big are the mounds gonna be everything they're learning all about that they also learn too the pattern in which we plant our seeds um we plant corn first and then we plant the squash so usually we plant like six corn seeds per mound then we plant only three squash because the squash are said to protect the corn and then once the corn is about knee height then we plant the beans and so there's a there's reasons for all of these things and students are learning all about that so you can kind of see the science the the science approaches to learning about the three sisters garden within that lesson um so the main takeaway from that is that um our students learn using a holistic and culturally uh cultural approach to um, learning about content. Um, So that's just kind of a a little example about um, what they learn day to day. They learn a lot about social skills, working with peers, um, using language with them because they're all in an immersion setting. So it's good practice, not only for their social skills, but using the language um, to express themselves within a social setting. Um, They learn about how to take care of themselves, just some general life skills Um, and a lot of ours is based on um, and surrounded around play so um, for all the learning we do we have um, a lot of uh, parts throughout our day where we have like fun activities and breaks and I would say that even like the more like group learning and the specific lessons and activities that we do with students are also really fun too. but it that's kind of like what our day is like it's a combination of content play social skills life skills everything everything in between um and i feel as an instructor in the program that all of those things combined together really makes um, a solid foundation for students um and it really help um to kind of set them up for success in their lives um having a really solid foundation like that um Uh, As I mentioned, my role there is a lead instructor, I'm uh, also a head instructor, that means I'm a liaison to the administration, um, to the parents, I train all the teachers, as well as teach my own classroom, I oversee a lot of the program operations, I work with the grants and the program coordinator, just to have an idea about where we're at, budget wise, Um, a, a bunch of different things. I do oversee a lot of the curriculum development too. Um, I've been teaching for a long time, and so this is my second teaching role. Um, I've been doing this for four years since the program began. Um, So I was actually the first teacher when we only had one teacher, which was me. And now we have six now. So um, I have transitioned into a training role, um, as well as teaching still my own classroom, but also adding this um, train, trainer, mentor, um, um, type of position in the program as well.
0: Yawam. Yagunsi, can you also please share with us and our audience why you think, um, Indigenous language revitalization is important?
1: Language revitalization is incredibly important because it contains our worldview as who we are as indigenous people and for us who we are as oneida people it is like the key to our culture our history um to connecting with our ancestors and all these spiritual and metaphysical aspects around us um it is a a huge part of our identity um, about who, it, it shows us and tells us who we are as people as indigenous people without our language we don't know who we are and so oh, that's one of the main reasons why why language revitalization is important um, it preserves our worldview it preserves our culture it contains our history it is a huge central aspect of our identity um, so just, Adding that, adding that, I, I, uh, language revitalization is important, but indigenous languages are important because that is the medium or the mechanism to that worldview. That it's it's how we transfer, it's how we communicate, it's how we connect to our culture, our worldview, um, our ancestors, the past, our history, everything. It is the insight to all of those things um so it's like i guess i i guess like if you're if you're um we all live in it's what 2022 these days and we all drive cars and to get from point a to point b you have to take a car so if you think about language language is like the car you're taking it from one point to another you want to learn about this thing over there language will take you to that through that it is the medium that connects all these pieces of who we are as Indigenous people. So I know that was probably a corny analogy, but um, <laughs> it, ha- it helps to understand how important Indigenous languages are. So yeah, I think that's about it.
0: Yawam. You can see, as we know, this is the international decade on Indigenous languages, and one thing that Cultural Survival has done um, in regards to this work is really bring attention to the importance of um, Indigenous language immersion as a really pivotal and monumental tool for communities to reclaim their languages and so I'd love to hear from you on why language immersion is an important strategy and approach for our communities to revitalize and strengthen their languages.
1: Language immersion is a really important strategy and approach for communities um, in revitalizing their language because it is so successful. Like I mentioned earlier, um, language revitalization, indigenous language immersion is one of the most successful language revitalization techniques. It's been proven by the Maoris, it's been proven by the Hawaiians, it's been proven by the Mohawks in literally revitalizing languages that were almost extinct or within a state of emergency. um, It can literally bring a language back to life um, in communities that have no speakers. That is how um, important it is. Um, it's important because it's successful. It's important because it's proven to boost proficiency, boost comprehension, boost speakership, create speakers of an indigenous language. Um, so, I, I, at least for our community here in Oneida, that's one thing we've implemented is a language immersion educational program to revitalize our language, to create speakers and to boost proficiency. So even though our program has only been in existence for four years, we have already seen a lot of success in the speakership of our students, our staff, their families. We've seen an increase of um, an awareness about the importance of our language. Um, we've seen um, discussion and dialogue about the importance of funding language immersion programs, that's really key because as much as we always want to talk about, let yes, let's do a language immersion program, let's do this, let, yes, there's a lot of things that go into it. One um, is funding. We can't have these programs if we don't have adequate funding. If we don't have adequate support, we need those things. We also need teacher training. That's a really important critical aspect of immersion programming Um, You can't really go anywhere to learn um, in a formal setting specifically about any specific language. Um, um, There are some areas that have it, but specifically taking it a step further and learning about being uh, an indigenous language immersion instructor, or for us an Oneida language immersion instructor, there are no areas or places or schools or universities that teach you how to do such things so we have to do training in-house and so that's another added layer of our programming that is built within the program so what you see is really the students and that that educational aspect but there's a lot there's kind of some um, secondary educational um, training aspects in our program and that's teacher training so like I mentioned I'm a head instructor in the program I train all the teachers on how to be immersion instructor, immersion instructors, immersion teaching pedagogy, indigenous uh, teaching pedagogy, um, indigenous ways of knowing or our Oneida language ways of knowing, uh, Oneida cultural ways of knowing. um, Immersion teaching and learning techniques, Oneida language um, proficiency. um, We talk about everything, anything to boost their proficiency, whether it's conjugating verbs, talking about our pronoun patterning system, everything. They learn the language. They learn how to... They learn about immersion. They learn how to do immersion and to also teach and manage a classroom as well. So, um, those are just really other important areas that are important considerations for, I guess, this international decade of Indigenous languages. It's, I, I feel, yes, it's very important to celebrate these this decade, but it's even more so. There's more that's needed than just a celebration of these indigenous languages. It's funding um, because to celebrate, we have to acknowledge them, but we have to fund them. If we're acknowledging them, these things go hand in hand. We have to fund these these initiatives, these programs. We have to support them wholeheartedly. We have to um, give them the funding that they can have adequate teacher training. Um, They can have adequate resources in order to best serve their students. So I think that that's just like an important aspect I wanted to add to um, not only why language immersion is important and how it's an important strategy and approach for communities, but but why this decade of indigenous language is important because we still have a lot of needs. And these are some of the needs that we can add to the dialogue. Um, and this celebration of in this in international decade of indigenous languages. So, those are kind of just some of my thoughts on um,
0: that that question. Yeah. thank you, Yungunzi. So, my last question for you, as we had already mentioned, um, this is the international decade on indigenous languages, and. As we're in the the first year of it, I'd love to hear from you some of your hopes and aspirations um, for this international decade and and for our languages more broadly.
1: Um, Some of my hopes and aspirations for this international decade on indigenous languages, um, kind of like what I mentioned before, they need adequate funding. We need to talk and and push the dialogue even further about indigenous languages. Like I mentioned, like, yeah, celebrating is great. Acknowledging is great. We got to do more than that. It has to be more than just words. It has to be more than just this memo of we're we're acknowledging this decade and that it's going to be about celebrating indigenous languages. We need policy change. We need inclusive policy change, educational policy change to include um, indigenous language programs as adequate, as valuable as equitable educational programs, and give tribal um, communities the uh, acknowledge them that they they can do this. This is their form of education. They can administer these programs and that they just need to be respected in um, you know choosing however they want or whatever way they want to educate their children so or their children in their community. Um, so really, I, f- I feel like that my hope and aspiration for this International Decade of Indigenous Languages is pushing the dialogue further. Let's discuss the needs about these, uh, about uh, Indigenous languages in our communities, uh, Indigenous communities across the world. Um, and also ensure that Indigenous communities have are in the driver's seat. They are leading the conversation. They are not only invited to the table, but they lead the conversation. Um, There's a big difference to inviting them than to allowing them to drive the conversation. And so um, just, I guess just a a note is to ensure that allies allow for um, the proper representation and um, um, representation of indigenous communities within the dialogue or the discussion about indigenous languages so my um, f- indigenous communities know what is best for their community they know the needs of these programs teachers specifically immersion teachers language teachers they really know what the needs are of a program and so they should also be at the forefront of these conversations um, but really what the content or um kind of like the main thing I guess what I want to see from these conversations is to really discuss the needs of of language programs, immersion programs, indigenous languages and communities. Um, there are so many needs. We are still almost every single uh, there are so many indigenous languages across the world that are within, that are um, near extinction. They're in state They're our, our community is in a state of emergency so many other indigenous communities are as well and so We have so much more ground to do. We have so much more to make up. We need funding allocated without questions, without strings attached, without reporting, without grants, because not only is that funding gonna help us but it's gonna reduce barriers for us i work in a program that's 100 percent grant funded and we have so much extra work to do not only literally saving our language studying our language teaching our language we create every single resource because there are our own idle language resources available every single activity translating we are fully grant funded we have reports we have to monitor every single thing Um, but I mean, all of that, there's ways that we can eliminate some of those things and make our jobs easier so we can focus on what matters. And that's teaching and learning the language for our students and our children. Um, and that's like when we have funding is reduce the barriers, eliminate reporting or make it in a easier, make it easier for indigenous communities to, you know, share what, what's going on with, um, you know, their programs, you know, if they're receiving funding from something or somewhere um so i feel like those are just some of the needs funding is huge though i'll just say that funding policy change um those really drive a lot of what's going on um behind the scenes with behind the scenes sorry within um immersion programs so um or language programs it's not just immersion programs but language programs so They're all important, I'll just say that. Um, Whatever way um, an Indigenous language program is administered, whether it's immersion education or through second language acquisition, they're all important, they're all needed. Um, And, yeah, I think that's kind of my main hope and aspiration is for policy change, um, an inclusive discussion going forward that includes Indigenous communities in the driver's seat, in regards to conversations about the needs of uh, indigenous languages um, as well as funding, policy change, um, continued dialogue and funding. Those are my main hopes and aspirations for this decade, Um, but um, as, as honest as those responses are, I do have a lot of hope for the future for indigenous languages. We, I know for me and my community, we will make it happen no matter what. Um, we are so driven and passionate about our language. Our language literally is a medicine. It can be used to heal all of these social issues that really affect our community, especially my community here, um, you know, as it relates to drugs, alcohol, um, substance abuse, anything like that. Those are um, just really a really uh serious and realistic issues that plague our communities and cultural culture and language programming boosts identity um and it provides a really solid foundation for a person that can be used to help not only combat things like that like substance abuse but be used to heal from them as well so um i see a, i've seen a lot of progress in our community Um, in terms of where we're going with our language and I know that the sky's the limit and it's only up from here so I I'm excited because I feel like you know as um, difficult as our history has been with language loss um, and boarding schools and how that's affected um, the decline of our of language use in our community I feel like it's coming around again it's it's literally becoming full circle you can see it happening in our community right before our eyes and students are learning, they're speaking like from nothing, from a gener- the ge- the language has been out for generations before them but we're bringing it back through our, our education, our educational program our language nest and so it is possible that is the main takeaway, anything is possible and our language is a medicine and those, holding on to those two things, that will drive Drive you to see things through um, and to just continue on, and you know, this work um, every single day. So, yeah, I think that's as much as I'll share.
0: Y'all won't go, Dr. King. Thank you for joining us and talking about your very important work in indigenous language revitalization.